fighting's been going on in Yemen for ever it seems. There've been several rounds of major civil wars, but you know what? It makes headlines in our country when Indians get when we Indians get involved in some way. The last time it was when a lot of Indians had to be evacuated. If you see Yemen a bit like a bit like this, then Houthis control more of this part, right? More of this part, not so much of this part. That is more with the other side. Yemen actually is a very poor country, has almost no water, barring some aquifers, who are now being ruined in this fighting. So what has now happened is that Houthi rebels, because they suspect that the UAE, UAE has been a partner with the Saudis right through supporting the earlier or the south or, or the southern forces against the northern forces, which is southern forces against the Houthis. Houthis are about say 35% of, um, of Houthis are from a tribe. Uh, they are about 35% of the population of Yemen, which is about just over three crores. So in fact, Yemen's population is generally about 56% Sunni, 42-43% Shia. Of the Shia, the bulk are the Houthis. So essentially, it's also a Shia-Sunni conflict there. And the Shia group, as you would expect, is, is backed by the Iranians and the Sunni groups are being backed by the Saudis and the UAE. So this was a kind of uh, reprisal raid against the UAE. Why? Because if you look at this map again, and some of these maps and drawings and figures, we are borrowing from a document, from a very good comprehensive research document submitted to by the Congressional Research Service to the US Congress. This document has the byline of Jeremy Sharp. So thank you very much. So some 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 of these maps and some of these some of these graphics we will take from there and we will acknowledge so. Now if you see the northern part of Yemen, some of that actually abuts the coast of the Red Sea. So Yemen is a very strategically positioned company in terms of the maritime geostrategic location. So this is this has got the entrance to the Red Sea on one side and then from Red Sea the entrance into the Arabian Sea or Indian Ocean to the other. So just as you might have a choke point say at the at Malacca Strait, a much narrower choke choke point exists near southern Yemen, that is near Aden. So see that part of the map of the world and see how narrow that corridor is. That leads that leads you from the Arabian Sea into the Red Sea. So if you want to go to Europe via Suez Canal through the Red Sea, then this is a dangerous choke point. And that is the reason why Chinese are sitting in Djibouti on the other side. It's also the part of Asia which is the closest geographically in terms of distance to the African landmass. So if you see this part of Yemen, this is very close to Eritrea or Somalia or Djibouti. And Djibouti is where the Chinese are sitting right now. They have a base, a very sizable and a very formidable base there. See Yemen. Yemen borders Saudi Arabia a great deal, Oman. It does not border UAE. But UAE is partners with Saudi Arabia. What's been happening over the past year is that the Houthi rebels have been very successful in pushing what you might call the government forces away from areas in the Mareb region. 
Marib region and also some areas closer to the Houthi controlled region. Now the government forces have some help. And that help has come in the form of UAE aid. UAE is not putting troops on the ground, not boots on the ground, but UAE is supporting some new forces called the Giants Brigades that are coming in from the Red Sea area and they are pushing the Houthis back. And that is where the Houthis have suffered some setbacks because these are very well equipped, very well armed, very well funded. And it is widely believed that these have the support of the of UAE. That's why they have carried out these raids, it seems, at least that is that seems to be the understanding of the international strategic community, that they've carried out these attacks on UAE to say, you keep out of this trouble. Why are you taking pangas in this place? Because if you do, we can also upset your apple cart a little bit because UAE is a very secure uh, business destination. In this case, Drones have dropped explosives, not just on a bunch of, on a string of oil tankers, oil tanker farm, not oil tankers as in tanker ships, oil tankers as on the ground, oil tanker farm. And lots of oil tankers have been damaged and some lives are lost, including two Indian lives and a Pakistani life. Also, some explosives have been dropped on one part of Abu Dhabi airport as well. Now, Abu Dhabi government, UAE government is saying that is not so significant, that is the least significant. But the fact is that for some time, flying from Abu Dhabi airport was suspended. So, the Houthis have shown that they can hurt you where you don't want to be hurt. Because you, if you want, to, want UAE, Abu Dhabi, Dubai to be seen as oasis of peace and stability and free business environment. Then the last thing you want is this uncertainty of a rain of explosives coming in from somewhere. And can you fight these drones? These drones, now there are lots of ways of fighting these drones. There are technologies, there are missiles, uh, there are radars. Uh, you can deflect them. You can do all kinds of things, but only if you know they are coming. Even if they are coming, you can't stop all of them. And sometimes stopping a drone might cost you a lot more. A drone may cost you only $200. But even a chota missile that you fire from your shoulder or something like that, or maybe uh, maybe a sophisticated uh, anti-aircraft artillery short-range uh, gun, that will cost you a lot more. Firing, that will cost you a lot more than the drone. So you might, and do you really want to use a $10,000 missile or a $50,000 missile to bring down a $200 drone. Of course, if it's coming at you with explosives, you will use whatever you have because then your life and life of your own people is much more valuable than any money. But first of all, it's very impractical. There is, there is no certainty that you can defend yourself. And even if you do, if you do it again and again, it gets frightfully expensive, as the Israelis have also realized with their Iron Dome program. Just, just using it against primitive rockets has been so expensive for them. That is what the Houthis are trying to do. They are trying to raise the cost of UAE's intervention. In fact, as I talk about this, you know, this is arithmetic, $200 drone, $10,000, $20,000 missile, right? And that reminds me of something that Kipling once wrote, such as he was. So Kipling, among the many verses he wrote, one of those was arithmetic on the frontier. And since, since I am a romantic for some of this history, I will mention that to you. I simply can't help mentioning it to you. So arithmetic on the frontier. And he made, made the same point in a different way. Maybe today it will be called, called, called a little bit racist also, because he put 
the value of a British life much more than say that of an Afghan life or a Pathan life at that point. But arithmetic of the frontier is just this. So he's visualizing an officer in the British army, educated at fine British colleges, now posted at a border station on the frontier, which comes under an ambush by the Pathans or by the Afghans. And the headline, as I told you, is arithmetic on the frontier. So he says a scrimmage in a border station, a canter down some dark defile, 2,000 pounds of education drops to a 10 rupee jizail. Jizail is one of those homemade matchlock rifles with long barrels. So 2,000 pounds worth of education. This is late 19th century, right? It's a lot of money. And 10 rupee ka ek tamanche se ya ek rifle se, you, you can kill that person. That is how skewed this arithmetic is, he says. And then he goes on to say, the crammers boast the squadron's pride, shot like a rabbit in a ride, no proposition, Euclid wrote. Euclid, you know, is the father of modern geometry. No proposition, Euclid wrote. No formulae, the textbooks, no. Will turn the bullet from your coat or ward the talwars, downward blow. Strike hard, who cares? Shoot straight, who cares? That means you can have the best training, but who cares? Strike hard, who cares? Shoot straight, who cares? You can be the best trained soldier, but the odds are on the cheaper man. So the cheaper man in this case is not the Afghan. The cheaper man in this case is a $200 drone. And that is what the Houthis have now done. They've told the UAE that, listen, we know that you are not putting your troops on the ground. You are saving your own lives and you think you can fight this war against us through your proxies. It's not going to happen. We are not going to allow this. Now, who are the Houthis? I told you they are Shias. They are about 35% of Yemen's population of about 3 crores. This population is very scattered. It's a large landmass uh, for 3, three crore people. Yemen has a lot of empty spaces. And as happens with most of these places, the areas closer to the coast are a bit more populated. Say Aden, for example, Sana, which is the biggest city and the capital, is not really, really that close to the coast. So Sana is right now pretty much with the rebels. So what happened? After the, after the drone raids, uh, drone attacks on UAE, Saudi Arabia, as usual, carried out reprisal air raids over Sana. Once again, I would say that every bomb that those aircraft dropped, Saudi aircraft, because they must have used standoff weapons, which are, which are very expensive. I know for Saudis, no cost, is, no cost means anything. But the fact is, that just the cost of that reprisal, it took away 15 Yemenis' lives for sure. It, that means it made that many more Houthis that much angrier with the Saudis. So this is a losing game for the Saudis and the UAE. And that is what the Houthis are pushing at. Now, Houthis actually are a subsect within the Shias. They are the Zaidi subsect. Zaidis are a bit like... Uh, a branch of Shia faith. In fact, you will find many in India as well who are Zaydis. Now, I will not take you into the history of how this came about. The history of the Zaydis began with the great-grandson of Imam Ali, who the Shias particularly revered. So, I'm not going there uh, because that becomes too complicated for now. Now, all we know, all, all we need to know at this point is that as this internal warfare in, in broke out in Yemen, 
the Iranians backed the Houthis. Before that, the Saudis had tried very hard bringing in their own version of the Quran, their own money, their own preachers, teachers to change or shift. I don't want to use the word convert as many Houthis as possible from their beliefs in Islam, their kind of Islamic beliefs to Saudi style Salafism and Wahhabism. Now, it may have worked with some people and they may have had some success, but at the same time, people don't give up their faith or their religious beliefs so easily. And we know how deep the Shia Sunni divide can be once you start pushing at the divide. That's why the Pakistanis are very careful. Pakistani armed forces, for example, are very careful because they know that this is a divide that you cannot push at. But the Saudis pushed at that divide. And what happened was, what it did was, it also united the Houthis who converted them into an armed insurgency. And as that armed insurgency started, this became a self-goal for the Saudis in Yemen. Now, Yemen itself has had a complex and bloodied political history. In 1962, until 1962, Yemen still had some kind of a continuity because a dynasty was founded there and monarchy was founded there. In between 9th and the 10th century, that survived nearly a thousand years. But 1962, by that time, a lot of Yemeni's officers had been trained by the Egyptians. Egypt at that point under Nasser, there was a strong Nasserite movement and the Arab Ba'ath movement for Arab unity. So those officers carried out mutiny, come coup or whatever and changed the regime. They changed the regime. The Nasserites then threw out the crown prince. Crown prince was Muhammad al-Badi. He was thrown out and they set up their own government and they formed Yemen Arab Republic, YAR. This is also around time, you will, the same epoch when the United Arab Republic came into being, that is Egypt, Syria, they got together and formed one country. It did not last very long. In my old childhood stamp album, I still have a page for UAR with a bunch of stamps there. That's a good souvenir to keep. But that did not last. Similarly, YAR did not last. Within five or six years, by 1967, a civil war started again in Yemen. Now, while all this was going on, <laughs> the British being the clever guys, they had kept their control over southern Yemen because they knew how important and how critical Aden is. Uh, Aden, the Gulf of Aden, the passage, that narrow passage into the Red Sea. So they had control there. But the, again, rebellion broke out there also. And the British also were expelled in 1967. When that happened, two different units came into being. So on the northern side, it was Yemen Arab Republic. On the southern side, it was People's Democratic Republic of Yemen. Once again, fighting started. So there were two more rounds of civil war in 1972 and 1976. And then in 1990, again after a civil war, after the 1986, civil war ended, the two Yemens combined and they decided to form a combined Yemen Arab Republic. And that is when Ali Abdullah Saleh became president. He was one of those Egyptian trained Nasserite officers who had participated in the 1962 revolt. So he became president 
of the entire united yemen now and the former president of what was the southern part of what used to be called people's democratic republic of yemen he became vice president now that also did not last because while the pretense was that this is a democratic republic the fact is that elections were a bit like this is hale getting 96% vote next time 77% vote so this was every democracy is imperfect this was just a bit more imperfect than most others so this arrangement did not go on forever in 2003 when the americans and allied forces invaded iraq once again a very poor arab country in fact if you see a lot of the older literature it's called south arabia right because it's the southernmost part of the arabian pen- peninsula so they there was a lot of anger there was a big upsurge of anger here and that is where al qaeda came in here muslim brotherhood came in here and this became a kind of hiding place for a lot of the insurgents of the iraq war also in 2014-15 once again the history of warfare continues in 2014-15 so in the wake of the arab spring 2011-12 once again yemen saw massive trouble massive protest and saleh had to quit saleh quit but he had not given up his ambitions so 2014-15 he made common cause with the houthis took over sana threw out the government and said we are ruling this place again so he threw out the president hadi who went over to aden who is now running what is the southern part or what is called the people's democratic republic of yemen so once again yemen got divided it is then that the saudi said that this is unacceptable to us that a houthi shia led government is coming to power in sana and they got involved in that war the rest as we know is more recent victory so they are supporting hadi uh, hadi is leading south yemen but hadi himself has problems in south yemen because there is yet another group there and that is where the yemen situation gets murkier so instead of my going into the details of all of that it will get too much please read this paper from the congressional research service of which i am sharing a link with you that will give you all the facts now what exactly does the uae want why is the uae getting so involved so once again i am reading uh, in international press from the experts from the crs document other such, such research papers from think tanks it does look like the uae while they have a threat from houthis who are shias they also have threat they also face threats from sunni groups in the south these sunni groups are anti houthis so they are your enemies enemies but they are your enemies enemies but also your enemies how come these are groups like say muslim brotherhood muslim brotherhood hood is also violently against the saudi and the uae regime so one of the strong groups that is supporting the south is also a group of the muslim brotherhood and that is called islah party now islah party is what has been attacking houthis lately so islah parties have been attacking houthis houthis have in in turn pushed islah back so it suits the uae's uae that they now come to in a way in a very calculated way the help of the islah party so houthis are not not able to roll them over completely because what will happen in that case is that houthis will win 
where they'll become dominant and they are anti-UAE anyway. So they'd rather that both UAE and the Islam party, which is basically Muslim Brotherhood, they keep fighting for as long as possible and weakening each other. So this is that complex and diabolical a game. But tell me in that part of the world, which game isn't complex and diabolical?